Sound Design. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Oakland, California. Welcome to Sound Design Live. Today, my guest is sound engineer, educator, and author of Getting a Foot in the Door in the Live Sound Industry, Darren De La Soul. I've been looking forward to speaking with her since I ran across the Soul Sound Twitter account a couple of months ago and realized that she is basically creating the school I wish I had gone to. So Darren, thanks so much for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I want to talk to you about Soul Sound and Alchemia um, and some of your other projects, but first I want to know how you got your very first job in pro audio. Well, that's an interesting uh, question. It was, as most things are, it's, um, it was kind of luck and talking to people, really, um, and having the right attitude because I studied at Alchemia um, in 2000 and it was at that point they only did a studio course, um, which I did and I loved it. It was the best nine months of my life and, you know, never, uh, it was a great school. Um and after that, it was obviously very difficult to find work. But I remember once being in a gig and saying to a friend, I want to be that person pointing at the, the stage hand. I didn't really know the difference at that point, but, you know, whose jobs were whose. But mm-hmm. I remember pointing and just saying to my friend, I want to be that person. And then I completely forgot that I'd ever said that. <laughs> Um, and then after I'd finished studying, I was desperately trying to get into post-production and into studios. And, it, you know, but that was just before studios kind of had the big demise of opportunities to work in studios. Um, and But never got anywhere. And by luck and talking to everybody I knew and somebody I used to have a waitressing job with many years before, phoned me up and said, oh, there's this new venue opening, 93 feet east, you should go and ask for a job. So I did. Uh, not knowing, of course, that, you know, live was still being very, very green behind the ears and really not understanding fully the difference between live and studio. And funnily enough, that was uh, a chap called Paul Epworth who was working there, who was the head engineer, um, who I think you should know is um, Adele's producer and many, many, many other people's producer. Oh, wow. And uh, he'd been there for a while and um, he needed an assistant and so I went to see him. We got on famously from the word go. Um, and that was in April and never heard back, never heard back, never heard back. And suddenly in September, I got a phone call from him saying, I've cleared your salary. Come, start on Monday. So I did. And, uh, yeah, um, never looked back, really learned so much from him. He's just an incredible engineer. And now he's this insanely good producer, um, but yeah, he's a great live engineer as well. And we, he just taught me absolutely everything and, um, spent two years there, I think, as the assistant for the first few months. And then he was, he went off to try and be a rock star with a band called Lomax. Uh, so I ended up, uh, taking over most of the, the, the live work. And once he left, um, I was officially the head engineer and kind of that, that was that really, um, moved on from there. I like the fact that you asked. I feel like that's the same thing I've heard from some other people. Some people just don't ask. You don't you don't really know what to say. You're nervous. I just interviewed uh Dave Swallow a couple of months ago. Hey, and uh, Yeah, it's it was kind of similar in his story. He was the house sound engineer um at the same place for about six years. Met somebody that he really got along with and just asked them for more work. And finally it came around. I think that's the key of to, to finding work is if you don't ask, you don't get. You can ask a million times and 999,999 times, you might not get a positive answer. But that one time, you will get a positive answer. I don't know if I like those odds, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's say that at 999 times. Um, but you've got to ask because if you don't ask, how does anybody know what you want? Um, and I find that in general in life, whether it's, you know, in audio or not in audio, if you make your desires clear to the people who might be able to help you, um, they might actually help you. Uh, there's very little work advertised. Certainly, I don't know what it's like in, in the US, but in the UK, almost nothing gets advertised except a few theatre jobs. But most of it's word of mouth. Uh, people like you, they meet you, they go, okay, come, next time I've got a gig, 
come along. Um, you don't get anything by by not asking. Mm-hmm. You know, very important to make your desires known. So I know you interact with a lot of entry level sound engineers. So I want to talk about a couple of topics that I'm sure you speak on regularly. First of all, I feel like it's really hard to describe what we do as sound engineers. Um, from the outside, people think that I'm some kind of wizard of the black arts, but <laughs> most of the time I really just feel like a fancy delivery boy. You know, I, I bring things in, I set them up. Um, yeah. <laughs> sometimes it seems weird that I've had so many different jobs, but really I don't think there's any other way because it's completely experiential. So you'll never really know what it's like to be a sound engineer until you do it for a year. And then you really only know one part or one area. So you try another and then another and until finally you settle on something that you like or you're really good at or maybe you just change careers. In this recent interview that you posted on, um, sorry, that's in Sound on Sound on how to become a live sound engineer, you said, we never ever lie to the students about what their career prospects are. So I want to know how you prepare people for the reality that it probably won't be at all what they're expecting. And I'm not saying that this is a bad thing because I love how it turned out for me, but I had no idea from the beginning what it was going to be. So how do you describe an experience that's so amorphous and hard to describe? Well, that's an interesting question because it is almost impossible to describe because, you know, everybody thinks it's pushing faders around on a desk. And actually what it is, as you say, is glorified delivery boy, you humping heavy boxes around and I have a big gripe with with audio educators in general particularly dare, dare I say this particularly universities um, that claim to put out a fully qualified sound engineer now a fully qualified sound I mean what is a fully qualified sound engineer I don't think there is such a thing because there are so many dis- different aspects to the job um, and I think it creates very false expectations um, I personally feel, and this is very much personal opinion, I feel it's not a degree course. I don't think because a, a degree it creates an expectation of remuneration, of good remuneration, which quite honestly there's not a lot of in this game. Um, and it creates false expectations, I think, of what your career prospects are, um, how you fit into the pecking order, a lot of kids with degrees seem to think that they're somehow better than the guy who's been doing it for 30 years who doesn't have a degree, um, which causes a lot of resentment from, you know, older people in the industry as well. So whenever I was interviewing prospective candidates for the Alchemia Live Sound Diploma, um, the first thing I always said to them was, you will not earn a lot of money when you start. You will work doggy hours. You will do the dog work. You will be expected to toe the line, um, you'll be expected to do the work that other people don't want to do anymore, and you'll and um, you'll do late nights, long hours, and you won't earn a lot of money for it. Um, and you have to do it because you love it. There's no other reason to do it. It's not glamorous at all, and especially these days with um, you know remuneration being pretty much directly proportional to how much, or di- indirectly proportional to how much money people fail to spend on recorded music mm-hmm. you know the only way to make money really at the moment is in in the live industry as far as I can tell and uh, there's a lot of competition for it and when you start out it's not glamorous and it's not going to be fun and you will be paid 50 quid a night and you know when you think you're worth 200 quid a night you know that it's it's just I've always just emphasized so much to people that it's you cannot do this for the money when you start out you really can't. You have to do it for the love and because you just get the buzz and the, and it is worth it. It's worth it for the buzz. It's great. That thing of being on a show and understanding and being part of making it work and having an audience that's just loving every second of being there, it's worth every second of it, but it's not glamorous. When you start out, you are not going to be the one pushing the faders. You are going to be the one, you know, crawling around on the stage in the middle of a show to plug something in that's just come, needs replacing. Or, <laughs> right. You know, you're the one who's going to be crawling underneath the stage trying to trace a faulty cable. And you, you described this really well in your book, Getting a Foot in the Door. I like that you call it a career web instead of a career ladder because, because you can climb it up. I'm sorry, <laughs> because you can <laughs> climb up from the bottom, 
But you can also get stuck at the bottom. You can also find your own clients and jump to the top, or you make valuable connections and spread your web further out. So a web is configured a little bit different for everyone. And um, you you don't really know how it's going to go. So I feel like that's that's the most valuable thing. Not necessarily that it's going to suck at the beginning, but it's just probably not going to be what you expected. Massively exciting at the beginning. It's just not (laughs) going to pay you very much money. (laughs) If it's not exciting to you at the beginning, get out. Go immediately, go and do something else. Um, You've got to be in it for the excitement. But yes, I, I, you know, you're the, it's a definitely not a ladder because, you know, in the teaching profession or the legal profession, you first do this and then you do that and then you do that and you take a step up the ladder every time. And there is literally a career ladder to climb. And most corporate environments, there's a ladder to climb. But we had, it, it's not like that for us because, you know, one day you might be touring with this big name band, but then they stop touring. So what do you do next? Oh, well, you might have to go and do a house job that doesn't pay that much for a while until your band starts touring again. Or, you know, you might be the little house guy and suddenly a band that you've just mixed by accident because they happen to be at your venue, they have suddenly decided that they love you and they take you off and whip you off on a world tour. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is. It goes sideways, it goes up, it goes down. Um, and really it's, it's about creating connections because without connections you you're you're nothing and it goes back to the same thing we were talking about earlier about asking you know if you're not talking to people if you're not interacting with people um it's a very people in you know it's a, it's a people business mm-hmm. people have got to trust you a band has to trust you before they're going to take you on tour um a, a venue has to trust you before they give you a job so it's about making that personal connection that allows people to trust you um, and then to be trustworthy you know, it's no, if people trust you and then you let them down, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of the end of a career because people talk. Um, so whatever you do, you know, you've got to be trustworthy. And if you are taking on something that's possibly, you know, too, too much too quickly, be honest about that and rather say, look, um, I'd love to do this job for you, but I'm not 100% sure that I'm ready for it. Oh, man, um, that's so hard at the beginning, though. Have you ever actually said that? I've, I've. When I was starting out, I was never able to say that. I was so nervous. Yeah, um, it's 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 a, it's a difficult thing that because if you really you know if you've never say you're doing you've been asked to do monitors for a band and they're all on stereo ears and there's fifteen of them on stage, that's quite a big ask for somebody who's never mixed ears before um, and who's you know only used a couple of the digital desks and now you're going on a tour where you've got to deal with all the new desks and you've got to deal with guys who are going to be looking at you going, well, you really don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. So I think if you do take that chance, and I'm not saying don't ever take it, I'm saying just be, when you do take that chance, make sure that you are always completely sober and always able to do it. <laughs> so, yeah, when you take that chance, make sure you're sober. That's the quote for this interview. And that chance, make use of the people around you and go up to the monitor babysitter and say, look, dude, I'm on my first tour here. If you see me doing anything stupid, can you please point it out? And could you please be looking at the, well, if it's analog, you know, could you be looking at the compressors while I'm looking at the desk? And please just draw my attention to anything that I'm doing badly and I'm open to all kinds of advice. Because if you go in with a, you know, with a, with a, oh, you know, I'm this cocky little kid who's, oh, I'm on this great world tour. If you go in with that kind of attitude, people are not going to take, and they'll leave you on your own then, and if they do see you messing up, they'll just shrug their shoulders and walk away. Mm-hmm. So I think if you are going to take those chances, and I'm not saying never do it, I'm saying when you do it, just do it with, make sure you're ready for it. Make use of the guys around you. They're bored as well, you know, they're sitting there, you know, babysitting. Go to say to the guy, look, please help me out here. I could use I could use some assistance. And most guys are totally happy to help you. I think that's really important too. I just, I don't know. It's so hard. I think I can only do that now after working for 12 years. Can I finally, I have enough confidence in the things that I do know how to do that when I encounter something I don't know how to do, I can say, I don't know how to do this. Please show me how to do it. And then <laughs> it seems like, why didn't I do that from the beginning? But at the beginning, I just, I didn't want anybody to know that I didn't know anything. <laughs> I noticed, you know, I also made the same mistake and uh, and I suffered as a consequence. You know, I made big mistakes and, and I had people just look at me, shrug their shoulders and walk away and leave me in 
leave me in the shit, basically. <laughs> Whereas if I'd been honest and got, you know, I might need some help here, they would have been standing next to me and going, sure, you know, have you seen this? Have you noticed that? Mm -hmm. So um, I learned that on my first tour, actually. If you need help, ask for it. And don't be cocky. You can find relevant links and more information about today's interview by using the search box on sounddesignlive.com. While you're there, pick up the Sound Design Live ebook with the best material from my first two years of interviews with audio industry leaders. So getting your foot in the door is the first step, but then the thing that most people don't think about is that then the rest of your career is spent sticking around and that takes a lot of energy and it takes the right attitude and that's why I think half of the stuff that I write about on Sound Design Live is really about psychology and I know that this is an important topic to you too. I wanted to tell you about this book that I've been reading called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg and he has this whole chapter about the training methods used by Starbucks to teach willpower. And I thought this was really interesting and I think it has applications for um, sound engineers and live sound. So in this passage, uh, I want to read to you. It's kind of short. He is talking about baristas, obviously, but you can substitute barista with sound engineer and I think it would still work. So let's see. He says, on the average day, a willpower challenge worker was no different from anyone else. But sometimes, particularly when faced with unexpected stresses or uncertainties, those employees would snap and their self-control would evaporate. A customer might begin yelling, for instance, or a normally calm employee would lose their composure. An impatient crowd might overwhelm a barista and suddenly he was on the edge of tears. What employees really needed were clear instructions about how to deal with inflection points. So the company developed new training materials that spelled out routines for employees to use when they hit the rough patches. So I read that and I thought, oh my God, it's just the same for me. Through many occasions of losing my shit and hating my job, I've developed my own personal strategies for dealing with stress and I guess overwhelming situations. You know, managers yelling at me, rude clients, equipment breaking in the middle of shows, uh, language barriers, travel catastrophes. So I feel like it's similar to Starbucks, but more like a flaming Starbucks on wheels where you're the only one driving it. And <laughs> um, I'm sure lots of people said to me along the way, it's tough out there, but mm -hmm. no one shared any real strategy for survival. So like when this happens, do this. So do you think we should write a similar workbook for sound engineers? And what are some of your strategies for survival? The things that I always said to my students is number one, grow with thick skin, because if you're oversensitive, you're never going to survive because people will shout at you. It's a very stressful environment, um, you know, and people don't always mean it. It's just they need to get the doors open in the next 10 minutes and you're still sound checking the kick drum and you haven't got anywhere near the rest of the band. Um, so you've got to grow a thick skin. Now, the other aspect that I've always said, and I've, I found this was the best way to deal with these kinds of situations in my own life, which is be aware of what is your fault and what's not. So if something happens and you can do something about it and or you should have done something about it but failed, put up your hand and go, yes, that was my fault, I'm sorry, um, and admit to that fault and never do that again because, I mean, we all learn we all learn by mistakes, don't we? Um, so, But if it's something that was out of your control, don't take on that feeling of guilt because I know that there's times where things were out of my control where I have gone home, I've had, you know, I was shaking by the end of the day, I've mm -hmm. had nights, I've not gone, wanted to go back to work tomorrow, um, I felt like I've been a terrible engineer and, oh, my God, life, you know, I'm not capable of doing this job. Um, but then I learned that if it was something that I could do something about, then, A, do something about it, but if you fail to do something about it, at, then you know that you should feel bad about that. But never feel bad about something which was out of your control, even if people are shouting at you, even if people, you know, if the show's been a complete disaster, if it's, if you couldn't do any, if it's not in your control, then you can't feel bad about it because if you do, you will be overwhelmed um, and you'll, you'll end up giving up on the job and you'll never be able to work, at, work in the job again. If it is something that you could, should have done something about, then learn from it and, you know, don't repeat the mistake. Uh, but if you feel bad about absolutely everything that goes wrong, 
um, and you take on board every yell and shout and scream, you know, you're never going to survive. You, you know, you just end up in a little curled up in a ball in the corner. Uh, so it does take some, yeah, take some gumption and, and, and having a thick skin and also making the decision about what you're going to feel bad about and what you're not. Those are really good tips because you can't move on if you're still thinking about what happened yesterday or even an hour ago. And so many of those things have to do with the circumstances and not you at all. So you kind of, you know, as I can't remember who said this recently, when the show's great, nobody says anything to you. And when the show's bad, it's all your fault. So, but if you, even just realizing that makes that everything a little bit easier because then when that happens, you realize that it's, it's not you. Yeah. I mean, it's a very lonely job, especially on those jobs where you're the only engineer and you're doing monitors from front of house. There's no, there's no um, stage manager you know, in, the, in the little house gigs and the, the pub gigs and the, the smaller, you know, 200, 300 capacity venues. You're on your own. You are stage managing. You're doing the changeovers. You're trying to do line checks with no help. Um, you know, you're completely on your own and, you know, and suddenly everything's your fault if it, you know, it's, it's a really lonely, difficult job sometimes. Um, so, yeah, you've, you've, you've got to not be timid. There's lots of times when you need to take it on the chin and if people are shouting at you, you know, hands in the air, okay, fine, just take it. But there are times when you are really allowed to stand up for yourself and say, look, this isn't helping. Um, and I find that, especially with promoters, you come and start shouting at you about why haven't you done this and why haven't you done that. It's like, well, dude, we've got 10 minutes to open the doors. How about you let me just finish the sound checks as best I can, and then we'll have this discussion afterwards, <laughs> not when we're trying to actually make the show happen. Um, and you've also, you know, people management is a massive part of this job. Managing bands, managing band managers and tour managers and venues and merch people and you know, there's just so much people management involved um, that, yeah, that it's definitely, if you if you struggle with that, you're also going to struggle with, with the job, specifically as a house engineer. You know, you're, everybody just leaves it up to you to deal with. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot of character, well, a lot of character building, I have to say, that comes out of being a house engineer. <laughs> I agree. Because you're kind of responsible for everything. Everyone just look for The Emotional Intelligence for Live Sound Engineers by Darren De La Soul and Nathan Lively <laughs> coming out pretty soon. That's title. I think I might write that. It's going to be good. <laughs> Sound Design Live produces free audio podcast interviews with industry experts, product reviews of pro audio books, hardware, and software, and tutorials and articles on sound engineering, sound design, and sound system design and optimization. Subscribe today at sounddesignlive.com or by searching for Sound Design Live in iTunes or SoundCloud. Um, So let's talk about Soul Sound. Actually, first let's talk about Alchemia because that's what you were doing right before you went independent and started Soul Sound, right? Yes, indeed. Well, um, I studied at Alchemy many years ago, and uh, they and I kept in touch because it's a great college for that. You know, they keep the family around them, and it's a, it's a really good college. Um, and they approached me in two thousand and eight, I think, um, and said we want to run a live sound course. Is uh, it a trade school or a university or? It's a private college that only does audio. Okay. Um, so it's they they don't offer degrees; they offer diplomas. Um, I think they've they've got they've. They've got connections with it with I think Anglia Ruskin University now that they can do part of their degree at at Um But yeah, it's, I mean it's always been a very much a, a, a vocational private college, and they've only done audio. And uh, they approached me and said, "Would you like to help us put together a live sound diploma?" And I thought, "Yes, absolutely. Why not?" Um, sort of on the terms of doing three days lecturing a week or something and still continuing to to mix bands. And then, of course, that suddenly turned into a full-time job. Um, and that's kind of why I, I had to stop doing a lot of mixing myself because that, of course, all takes place at night and mm-hmm. the college takes place in the day and I found it very difficult to do both. Um, once I'd switched to living in the daytime, it was very hard to be up at five in the morning after big nights, you know. So I thought I decided to concentrate on the on the education side. And uh, what we did was we tried to 
make it as real world as possible. So we had lots of classroom stuff, obviously, uh, but we also spent a lot of time in venues um, and we also trying to give people individual practice time in venues. So now, so we do group situations where you have bands come in for a day and you know people take turns at doing monitors, take turns at doing front of house. But we'd also then have record these bands live so that it was, you know, you don't want to use a studio recording um, for, for practicing live music. Mm-hmm. Um, so that people would have an opportunity to, to practice mixing in a venue and, you know, it wasn't as real as it could have been with a band, but at least you've got a, you know, you've got a recording that people have got yeah, time. Yeah, that's cool. I wish I could have done that. And we put them in venues, you know, which is infinitely different to mixing in a classroom, for example. Um, so that was very cool. But the thing that we did, uh, which I found and which all my students found, um, was the best thing. And constantly they said this is the best thing about the course is we put them on huge amounts of work experience. I made it my um, mission to never walk past a venue or walk past an opportunity without demanding work experience for my students. <laughs> That's great. And uh, I got quite a reputation at some point for just going, oh, can I put a student on that? Oh, can I put a student on that? Um, and in the end, we had a very big selection of venues um, and PA companies who would, you know, some of the venues just got so used to having the students that they didn't really know what to do without them in the end. Um, and how did you how did you convince them? Did you say they'll work for free or that they're well-trained or what what were the terms of the agreement? The terms of the agreement is they're insured by us because the public, a lot of the objections at first were about insurance. So the, the college, we, we had their public liability insurance was covered. Um, there was no, there was almost no paperwork because that's the other thing that puts people off having students is they've got to fill in, you know, rafts of paperwork. Hmm. I had a, a simple 10 question questionnaire, you know, were they on time? Were they personable? Were they willing? Um, and they didn't have to judge them except on, they didn't have to mark them. They just have to say, whether it was all about their, their attitude. The whole questionnaire was just about the attitude. There was only 10 questions, so that was the only paperwork they had to do. And the other proviso was if they put a single foot wrong, you can kick them out immediately. Wow. So if the student does anything wrong or gets in the way or does anything stupid, you can chuck them out. And that was, I think, quite a, a clincher for a, for a lot of the, the, the um, providers was it's okay, you know, if we happen to get really, you know, if someone does something stupid, we, we don't have to keep them all night. And that's that seemed to work as a persuasive. I've only had one person ever get chucked off a gig. Um, so, but it was just something that was made made it easy for people to say yes. Mm-hmm. And then they realised that they didn't have to pay someone and they could get them to do a lot of the heavy work. Um, and, you know, as we all know, sound engineers do like to show off a bit. So they <laughs> you like being asked, you know, how do you do that? How do you do that? And I was also very, very strict with them and say, you know, if I hear that you've had a single beer before the show's over and the last cable is, you know, if, they, if they're drinking beer, that's their problem. You do not. Um, and I was, you know, I used to call up and ask, you know, how did they do? And and it became a really good relationship and got to a point where people were calling me and said, oh, we've got another show this week. Can you send me someone? Um, and it became a trust relationship Um and I was, I'm, I'm very, very strict. I grew up in South Africa where school was very strict. And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't take shit from my students, basically. Why, and, is, why are schools strict in South Africa? Because uh, I'm of that era which grew up in apartheid and it was very oh. cold. Yes. You know, I still, we, still, we still got rulers on hands if we, you're not in high school, but in primary school, we still got beaten, you know. Wow. Um, wasn't bad. We, and I, frankly, I thought we came out rather well for it. <laughs> well, I, you know, now that you've explained it, it seems completely obvious and completely logical, but somehow you're the first educator, the first sound engineer, the first person that I've ever heard that would do this, that would make it their life's goal to get um, as many students into work experience as possible. Um, and yes. I don't know, everyone should be doing that. The work experience, not only are they learning you know, stuff that you cannot teach in a classroom. You know, they get all kinds of gigs. I mean, I used to, the course was four months long and the minimum they had to do was seven work experience. But most people, the guys who did very, very well, um, they did, they, you know, some of them were doing five a week. You know, they would just take any opportunity. We had a rotor and they'd fill their names in every time we got opportunities. we put it in on the rotor and the guys who checked that every morning 
they got in there. Um, and people were doing enormous amounts of work experience. And the beauty of it, this is why I had such a good result in um, employment rates afterwards. As you know, we had over 80% of our students were working afterwards. That's amazing. Industry. Because not only were they learning if the diff, you know, from pub gigs to charity gigs to big events to DJ nights to, you know, all kinds of events, but they also they were meeting people. They were meeting the people who were going to say, oh, yes, I remember you. You were pretty cool as a student. They were also learning from other people's mistakes. So they were not repeating mistakes that they learned in a seat, saw someone else do. They could ask questions. They could interact. And it was just, it was amazing what you learned from going five nights a week into different venues, learned doing different stuff. It was, yeah, it's certainly a very, very effective way of, of, and then they were getting the backup of the theory and the, you know, the classroom practicals and all of that as well. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably have the same experience that I did, which is that we went to a university for four years and I had work experience, but only because I went out and got it for myself and then I didn't have that much, you know? Yeah, you see, but that's impressive. When I get, when I find people, because I've got the agency now, I obviously get sent a lot of CVs. And I'm really impressed by the people who've gone out and got work experience, even though their learning providers aren't providing it. Um, and I think it's it's shocking and poor education that in such a practical subject that learning providers are not are not insisting on this kind of um, work experience. Well, so let's talk about Soul Sound. Um, it's a resource center. It's an agency. It's a community. Uh, from reading your website, it looks like you'll be offering a video library covering career inside and technical training for recording and live sound. And I can see this being really valuable for people who live somewhere that doesn't have access to this kind of education. So tell me about the first videos you'll release and how will I be able to ask questions and interact? Well, um, the site that's up that you've, you've looked at at the moment, that's a holding site. Uh, we're busy developing the main site as we speak. Um, the idea behind Soul Sound is um, I'm specifically not offering an actual course because there's a million people in the world doing it. Um, what we're offering is, a, is an opportunity to improve employability. That's the employability is my main drive. That was always my drive with El Camero as well. I want my people to be working, otherwise what's the point? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm aiming to improving employability and by to do that we are providing additional skills, new skills, it's skills, attitude and approach, right, are the three, are the three aspects. The skills, you know, we've got uh, myself and Limbic, worked for Tori Amos for the last 17 years, still does, uh, four Grammy nominated records, 17 others which are stunning. Uh, Justin Greeley, name a band, he's done it. Um, and John Burton, who uh, currently works for Prodigy and uh, Bombay Bicycle Club, um, amongst others. And these are my, th my, my, my three main tutors in terms of skills, but also in terms of attitude. And then obviously myself, and I'm the attitude and approach person. So the videos are ranging from, we'll be doing some studio skills, some live skills. Uh, we're busy filming, we've just filmed Mixing Front of House, um, We've also, while we did that, we also did a video on walking the room, which is something that nobody seems to sort of touch on. It's all, you know, lots, everybody talks about pushing faders, but doesn't, very few people talk about what do you do when you get into a room for the first time? How do you assess the room? How do you check the PA to see if it's going to be, you know, if, how to deal with the PA that's there? So we've done that. Uh, on Friday, we will be recording or filming, sorry, drum recording techniques. Um... And uh, so we've got a lot of these quite high-end, um, you know, heavy, heavy, heavy on production value uh, skills-based things, but we will also be doing inspirational interviews with uh, people who just are amazing in the industry, people like Tony Andrews, Bob Heil, um, and I'm searching for people who have just had amazing careers and who've got lots to say uh, to youngsters. Um, and... We will also be doing a series of live talks, like at Plaza Focus. We will be doing, we've got a day um, of pro seminars, programs. Uh, we'll be filming those and some of those will be used for website content as well. Um, but in addition to these sort of long things, which will be 45 minutes to an hour probably, 
Um, we're also doing a series of short how-tos. Now, a lot of this will be generated by our interactions on Facebook, Twitter, and on the website of asking people for their questions. Um, so we want to be able to respond directly to actual questions and try and incorporate some of those questions into the videos that we produce, um, as well as also answering directly through video, mostly through video means. Um, we'll also have a forum, obviously, where our tutors will be um, be on you know, a, a number of times a month where they'll be spending an hour or two um, on, you know, directly interacting with people on forums. And in addition to that, we're doing a series of webinars, um, first one hopefully in February, um, which we're doing in conjunction with the college called SSR in London, mm -hmm. recording. and uh, we're doing these together as uh, just, just ways of just reaching out to people um, and engaging with an audience and hopefully just improving people's skills and knowledge base. So it sounds like lots of great content will be coming out from these tutors that you've signed up. Uh, and then I guess you'll just be selling a membership to this library, these library of videos and content, uh, not necessarily courses, right? Yes, it's, okay. uh, um, we will be selling memberships. There will be quite a lot for free. We will be offering certainly shortened versions of all the masterclasses um, will be free. Um, there'll be a number of how-tos. It'll be free every month. Um, and we'll, there'll be snippets of interviews and things that we'll, we'll there'll be enough free content to you know, make it an in interesting visit whether you're a fully-fledged member or not. But uh, once you are a full member, you know, it, there'll be lots of opportunities to attend these live days. Um, there'll be opportunities to attend. We want to run a, a number of, of weekends um, where people can come along and actually we'll do residential weekends. They can come and learn fabulous skills. And I want to delve into interesting things like um, learning to listen and using your ears and understanding perception because a lot of what's happening, um, and I think a lot of people talk about this, uh, with the digital revolution of specifically digital mixing desks, people are mixing with their eyes, not their ears. And I think that we need to be developing people's listening skills um, much more than it's than is happening at the moment. I mean, and I, I know when I was first, you know, on digital desks, I would look at an EQ curve and go, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> right. But it looked so bad uh, or it looked great on the screen, but it sounded wrong. You know, that, that, that thing of trying to get people to forget their eyes and use their ears is, is something I really want to push in the future and develop exercises and weekends where we can, where we can practice those skills. Do you have a launch date? Launch is at Plaza Focus in Leeds. Uh, Plaza Focus is the 29th and 30th of April this year, 2014. Great. Uh, and I am hosting a seminar day on the 30th. I've got a whole room for a whole day. And that program will be released next week, I believe. Very cool. Great day. So I talked to Darren before the interview. And if you are interested in Soul Sound, as you should be, Sound Design Live will be offering some kind of discount code or some kind of promotion in conjunction with their with their launch. We'll try to get some Sound Design Live listeners into the course. Uh, we don't know what that's going to be yet, um, but when you hear this interview, go to the show notes at Sound Design Live uh, for this interview and check out what we have to offer. <laughs> Soul Sound Agency looks like a more formal version of what happens to most of us as contractors. So we're requested for an event. We can't do it because we're busy. Uh, so we get a friend or a colleague to cover it. And you've taken that commonplace practice and turned it into a business. Is that about right? Yes, it's about right. Um, do, I, do I let you in on the secret? Yes, I suppose I do. Um, <laughs> While I was running the Life Sound Diploma and I had all these amazing students who were just so into it, uh, it was just great and so talented, um, I found myself putting them into work. And then one day, one of my students, ex-students came running in and said, oh, Darren, I've just earned so much money this week. And I went, hmm, hang on a minute. <laughs> you just earned a hell of a lot more money than I earned this week. Um, and I gave you all that work. I'm giving away my address book for free. I spent a decade building my address book. And so I was saying, well, I'll have a percentage, thank you very much. And that's how the agency was born. It was, you know, I just realized that I have the contacts and young engineers don't. 
um, and they need the help and they need someone who can vouch for them because in this business, nobody, almost nobody ever takes you just off a CV. You know, you need someone to say, oh, this kid's okay or this guy's good or this girl's great, try her. It's that word of mouth vouching system that always keeps people working in this in this business. So I've basically saved, I'm saving people 10 years worth of trying to build up their own contact lists um, by you allowing them, well, giving them access to my people who I used to work for, who trust me and who trust me to send them somebody that I trust. <laughs> Again, it's all this trust business. Um, so basically what I'm doing is, is vouching for people and saying that this guy's good, use him. And uh, that seems to work for for the client and it works for the engineer as well. Um, it means that they've just got someone on their side. I really like it because every time I have moved to a new city, the most critical connection is always a local colleague who will recommend me for work. Yeah. And you're offering that service more publicly, kind of like identifying yourself on the web. Like, hey, everybody, as a sort of a shortcut, people yeah. are searching for you. And it's perfect, obviously, for getting students and graduates um, from the Soul Sound connected to real jobs. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, and I, I mean, I've, I'm one of the sad things about the demise of the El Camino diploma is Live Sound diploma, not, not everything else that's still going, but the, the Live Sound diploma is um, I now no longer have a steady stream of fabulous ex-students that, that I know personally and that I trust because I've worked with them for four months and I've also brought them up and I've told them how I need them to behave and I, you know, taught them what their, what the etiquette is and, and, you know, that I know that they'll be on time and I know they'll be reliable and I know their work will be neat and I know that I'm going to get a good report about them at the end of the day. So that's a slight difficulty for me at the moment is is finding the right new blood. Obviously, I get thousands of CVs a year. Um, but, and this is an interesting aspect, is the ones I respond to are few and far between and the ones that I take on are few and far between. And this, again, comes down to the way they approach me. Um, and that's something that that's, I think is bears talking about, really. And I don't think you need to have the skills and the right attitude but you need to know how to ask. And it's not just, not only do you need to ask, but you need to ask in a way that's going to get a response. Now, I get sent um, many things, and the first thing they say is, I've got a degree in sound engineering, um, basically give me a job. I said, like, well, number one, I haven't advertised a job, so that's a bit cocky, really, to be demanding a job that A, doesn't exist, and B, um, I'm not, I don't know that you're really qualified for it because... As far most of the degrees out there, if they're not from specific audio colleges, um, don't really mean much because they haven't really taught you how to how to push the boxes and how to load the truck and um, how to be awake for fifteen hours and still have a smile on your face at the end of it and all that. <laughs> that approach is very very critical. And what people don't, what people forget is that they need to, when they send out an email, they need to read it as though they were the person receiving it. Because if you want, if you would respond well to that CV, to that email yourself, then you you know you might have a chance of somebody actually reading it. But if you you know if you send something to dear sir, madam, you know why would I bother responding to that? I'm a human being. I'm I'm not interested in you if you're not interested in me. So I find it you know people who've actually read my website who've actually you know said something about my website to show that they've read it. People who get my gender right. And I know my name is Darren, but uh, <laughs> after me on my website, um, you know, people have assimilated it and then approach me. I'm much more likely to respond to them. So I think this is going to be a challenge for you because after Soul Sound opened up, well, actually, you know, Sound Design Live goes global. So as soon as everybody <laughs> from Sound Design Live hears about Soul Sound, they're going to want to join, become a member. Then you're going to have people from all over the world sending you their CVs and talking about finding work. So I think you're probably going to have to set up some kind of intake system on the site, maybe make people take uh, a one-hour course where you explain how the whole system works before they can actually send you their CV. That's not a bad idea, actually. Um, I've been puzzling about how to deal with this, uh, you know, how to deal with the growth because, of course, you know, one also has to grow the client base who've got the work before you can have too many engineers on your books. And I, 
I like the personal touch. I like to know who my engineers are. And I have started interviewing people and I have, you know, I insist on meeting people face to face. I will not take anybody who I haven't looked in the eye. So you're going to have this challenge of having the right people, um, Mm -hmm. the right sound engineers in your agency. But then I think the second biggest challenge, which you just identified, is that is is just bringing in clients and having jobs for them. And I think the biggest problem is that people don't Google search sound engineer when they need one. No, I don't they, know; it just doesn't come up. They they ask a colleague, they ask a friend, um, they call up an an AV company. So, how are you planning on bringing in clients? Well, it's until rec- well until now, I've never really had to do that it's kind of happened organically um like magic like magic because until until we changed websites around until you know about a month ago when we've we've rearranged the whole how the website works when you googled sound engineer i don't know about anywhere else but if you did that in the uk um soul sound would come up first or second oh cool so i did get a few uh i have had a few jobs through that oh really people are googling sound engineer that's nice. yeah okay. yeah i mean they've they've not always been very Fabulous jobs, but I have had a few jobs through that. But mostly how I get my clients is, again, word of mouth. Um, because the companies that I send my engineers out on, they'll get a, they'll ask around amongst each other. Also, I get a lot of people recommending me. Um, so particularly in the corporate environment, I get, you know, I get, I get recommended between companies and sister companies and subsidiaries. They keep going, well, why don't you use Darren? She's great. Because I usually turn, you know, I make the 20 phone calls instead of them and I turn it around in a very short space of time. Now, the one thing that's worth pointing out at this point is that I, the way the agency works before everybody sends me a million CVs, um, is that one of the reasons people use me is that I do not charge the client a fee, I charge the engineer a fee, which some people find unfair, but, you know, deal with it or don't, you know, <laughs> you'll find, find your own work. Um but I find that the, one of the reasons I, that the people use me repeatedly is that it doesn't. I, using me does not increase their costs. So I take my my cut uh, from the engineer because it's their careers that I'm building. And then, but then, how long does that relationship last? Because once a sound engineer uses you, they make a connection with that client. Wouldn't they then just go direct with that client from then on? If that if uh, you know to make more money, clients don't want that to happen because they know that if that happens, I will my services will disappear very quickly. They want me to continue doing it, so they don't they don't even make that offer to the to the to the engineers um, because it doesn't cost them anything. Because if the engineer came, you know, if they, let's say that the job's worth one hundred and eighty quid, if they pay me one hundred and eighty quid or the engineer one hundred and eighty quid, it makes no difference to their costs. If I was charging two hundred in order to get a cut from the the from the client, and the engineer was going direct for one hundred and eighty, of course they'd go direct. So that's one of the reasons I keep my clients. Um, and also the engineers, it's not worth their while. You know, I find out this is a, this is this is an industry that talks. If they go off and they want to make a personal arrangement, then that's fine. But they'll get off my books very quickly, and I won't help them again. So for people who don't know, this is actually this is actually really common. In in the US, the person who performs a service is called a labor buyer. And there's some big ones here in California, I know. Um, but I guess what I wanted to say about that is that most of the work that I do is not direct with clients. It's mostly subcontracting. So everyone is charging a margin on top of my services. So unless you think that that's something that Darren is doing with SoulSound Agency is is sort of strange charging a fee to the sound engineer to help them find work, that's almost everything that I do. I mean, um, some of the hotels that I work at charge $85 an hour and then maybe pay me 25 you know? So there are these big margins that go in and it, it's different everywhere that you work. Yeah, and my margin is very small compared because, of course, my clients are then, you know, if, if they're paying me £180 for an engineer, they're probably charging 350 to their clients. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're making much bigger markups than I am. That's why I'm looking after the engineer. And I will also fight for people. I'll, I'll look out for them. I'll, I'll make sure they get their money. Um, you know, I don't just hand them over as a, as, a, you know, as, a, as a worker. I also look after them and I give them advice and I'll be available. And if they need to call me at 3 o'clock in the morning, they can. Wow. I don't mind if someone – I've had it before when someone's just done the biggest gig in their life and they're just really nervous – you know, they go outside and they go and hide by the dustbins outside going, oh, my God, I'm so nervous, I'm so nervous. <laughs> I'm out of it. 
So they don't have to do that in front of the bag. <laughs> so the client see that, but I'll, you know, I'll back them up and I'll, you know, if there's a dispute about stuff, I'll get involved and I'll look, I'll look out for my boys. Emotional, su- emotional support. I think it's worth the, I think Absolutely. it's worth the charge. So I forgot to mention that, um, if you want the book, Getting a Foot in the Door, you can download it for free at, I'm sorry, I wrote it down. You can download it for free at soulsound.co.uk. And besides the websites, uh, I'm sorry, besides the Soul Sound website, you should also follow Soul Sound on Twitter. It's actually underscore Soul Sound, because I guess Soul Sound was already taken. But Darren is curating a great list of articles and videos there, and that's how I actually found her for the first time. So I wanted to ask you, Darren, how are you finding this kind of content? Are you actually reading all of these blogs and trade magazines? Are you following someone else? And then that's where you're getting your good taste. I need to be very honest about this. And um, I have a social media lady. (laughs) Ta-da! She's completely fabulous. And I highly recommend her services. She's amazing. Um, But the whole Soul Sound concept is is very much a a team effort. I've got um, one of my skills and talents, which is coming through with the agency and now through the through the resource center as well. I'm very good at collecting people. Um, I am a very good delegator and I'm very good at finding the right people to do the right things and then giving them the power. It's like, that's your job, is to make my Twitter feed amazing. And off she goes and does it, you know. Um, I think she's genius. At, at, I don't know how she does it, so I don't ask. I just let her get on with her, her, her black art magic. Um but I must confess that that's not actually me. But I, I do, you know, look at what she sends out and I totally approve of it. And so, you know, often I'll put her, it's like, oh, why don't we, you know, tweet this? Or I, I do feed her some things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of what she does is her own research. And I think she's just totally genius at it. And I love what she posts. Me and too. She posts. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, you know, it's a team effort. I can't do this all on my own. I've got three businesses to run um, and to spend, a, you know, my whole life trying to find interesting things for Twitter is I just I just don't have the time for that, so I must confess to um, employing somebody to to do my Twitter feed. I approve. <laughs> I think Soul Sound is going to be a great success. Darren, thanks so much for talking with me today. Thank you very much. Sound design. Yeah. Hey, 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 this is Nathan. Thanks for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed this episode of Sound Design Live, rate it it. on iTunes or send it to a friend. 